<coughs> continuing with uh, the second chapter on Sotapanna, the spiritual turning point. In order for the mind to penetrate truth, seeing will accord with right view. The view in accordance with Dhamma is the dominant factor in facilitating a clear penetration. The Buddha praises and encourages right view in many places in the canon. Here is just one example. This is from uh, the Sanyutanikaya Connected Discourses, section 45. Because suppose a spike of rice or a spike of barley were rightly directed and were pressed upon by the hand or the foot, that it could pierce the hand or the foot and draw blood, this is possible. For what reason? Because the spike is rightly directed. So too bhikkhus, that a bhikkhu with a rightly directed view, with a rightly directed development of the path, could pierce ignorance, arouse true knowledge and realize nibbana, this is possible. For what reason? Because his view is rightly directed. And how does a bhikkhu do so? Here, because a bhikkhu develops right view, which is based upon seclusion, dispassion, cessation and maturing in release and develops the uh, various other factors of the Eightfold Path uh, Samar Sankapo, right intention uh, and so forth all the way through to right concentration which is based upon seclusion, dispassion, cessation, maturing in release in this way bhikkhus, uh, it is in this way bhikkhus that a bhikkhu with a rightly directed view with a rightly directed development of the path pierces ignorance arouses true knowledge and realizes Nibbāna. And that's a little sequence, um, uh, seclusion, dispassion, cessation and maturing and release is uh, Viveka, Viraga, uh, Niroda and Vosagga. And that's a, a, a quite a common little sequence that uh, you've, uh, you find in the suttas. I think in the... Um, uh, Anapanasati Sutta, you get that with the, the Buddha talking about the development of how the mindfulness of breathing uh, supports the development of the um, uh, <coughs> seven factors of enlightenment. And then the, the seven factors of enlightenment you know, eventually you know, ripen with, in these ways with seclusion, viveka, uh, dispassion, viraga, uh, uh, cessation, niroda, and maturing in release, vosagga. Right view is commonly explained in terms of the Four Noble Truths and, as the following passage makes clear, the stream enterer has had a direct vision of these truths. Because for a noble disciple, a person accomplished in view, and the Pali for that is Diti Sampana, which is the same as a Sotapana, uh, when a person accomplished in view who has made the breakthrough is one who understands as it really is. This is suffering. This is the origination of suffering. This is the cessation of suffering. This is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. The Buddha also defines right view in terms of dependent origination. An understanding of conditionality is alluded to in the first quote in this chapter. Uh, that is, whatever things have an origin must come to cessation. Quote unquote. This forms a basis for insight into the true nature of phenomena that allows the heart to enter the stream. It's interesting how dependent origination and the structure of the Four Noble Truths <coughs> are intertwined in the following sutta. 
So in, in this section, uh, Ajahn Pasana is sort of going through these various different ways that that stream entry is defined and what is what is seen or the um, the way that uh, the Buddha uh, frames this in, in different fashions, different places. And then this um, this next quotation uh, comes from the uh, Nidanavaga, the connected discourses about uh, causation. And uh, this one and the, the one following it also. Uh, and in the, in the relationship between the uh, Four Noble Truths and Dependent Origination, it's uh, <coughs> the... Um, what you have with dependent origination, which is defining the, uh, say, the uh, the cause, the root cause of dukkha, suffering being uh, ignorance, and then through craving to to dukkha, and then uh, the um, uh, the cessation cycle, the uh, paticca niroda, as it's called, where you have uh, with the cessation of, of ignorance and the cessation of all the different. Twelve factors of cessation of, of craving and of dukkha. So that what you have is the fine analysis of uh, essentially the uh, the second noble truth and the third noble truth. How um, you get the dukkha to be caused. That's the second noble truth. This is the cause of dukkha. So that's the arising cycle, paticca samuppada, uh, ignorance leading to craving, leading to dukkha. And then the, the third noble truth, which is the cessation of dukkha. It's like with the cessation of ignorance, you have the cessation of all the different links, the cessation of craving, and then the cessation of dukkha. So it's um, the example I usually give is, is like when you have a, a, a new um, car or a new lawnmower or a new computer or something, you have a, a sort of an easy guide, like a one-page guide of how to, make, how to get your machine to switch on and you can operate it. And you just like, okay, here you are, there's six points, here's the on button, do this, 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 and then it'll work. And then you have the manual, which tells you what all the other little features will do and, and how to uh, make adjustments and set things up in your own way and, and how all the, the fine machinery of the system works. So you have sort of a, a one-page, easy-peasy easy guide at the front, and then you have 60 pages of more detailed. So this is what you, what you have in the Four Noble Truths, is the sort of basic format, the template, and then in the, the dependent origination and dependent cessation, you have the, the fine detail, the sort of um, refined user's manual of how uh, dukkha arises and, and how it ceases. And so, but in, in this particular um, sutta, then, it's also talking about how these uh, relate with each other. So this is uh, sutta number 27 from the Nidana, the Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation. When bhikkhus, a noble disciple, thus understands the condition, thus understands the origin of the condition, thus understands the cessation of the condition, thus understands the way leading to the cessation of the condition, he is then called a noble disciple who is accomplished in view, accomplished in vision, who has arrived at this true Dhamma, who sees this true Dhamma, who possesses a trainee's knowledge, a trainee's true knowledge, who has entered the stream of the Dhamma, a noble one with penetrative wisdom, who stands squarely before the door to the deathless. <clears throat> and when the, he uses the word condition there, that's, that's uh, referring to each of the twelve links. So it's, um, uh, with respect to ignorance, then knowing uh, the, uh, the origin of ignorance, the cessation of ignorance, uh, sorry, the, knowing ignorance, the origin of ignorance, the cessation of ignorance, and the way leading to the cessation of ignorance, and so forth with, with, uh, so forth with all the twelve links. So Avijja, Sankara, 
vinyana, namarupa, salayatna, pasavetna, you know, all the, the, the 12 links that you have in the dependent origination change, uh, chain, so that um, in this particular instance is uh, reflecting on the, the four noble truths, that, that format, with each of the four links, each of the 12 links. So you've got the sort of four truths related to each of the 12 links. If you can follow that. So it's a, it's a unique kind of a teaching. So that's Sutta number 27 in the uh, Nidhanavaga. <clears throat> the Buddha makes clear that the stream enterer's knowledge of dependent origination is direct and intuitive rather than intellectual or rational, learned from books, memorized from others, or arrived at through speculative thinking. And then this is also from the Nidhanavaga. The, um, this is Sutta number 49 from that Connected Discourses about um, causation. And this is even more intricate, so listen carefully. <laughs> because an instructed noble disciple does not think when what exists does what come to be. With the arising of what does what arise? When what exists do volitional formations come to be? When what exists does consciousness come to be? And so forth. When what exists does name and form come to be? And what exists does aging and death come to be? So it goes through the whole list of the, t- the 12 links. So uh, uh, an instructed noble disciple does not think that, does not think you know, uh, what, what connects with what or what leads to what. Rather because the instructed noble disciple has knowledge about this that is independent of others. When this exists, that comes to be. With the arising of, zi- with the arising of this, that arises. When there is ignorance... Volitional formations come to be. When there are volitional formations, consciousness comes to be. When there is consciousness, name and form comes to be. When there is, and so on and so forth, all the way up to when there is uh, birth, aging, uh, when there is birth, aging and death comes to be, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair. He understands thus, in such a way, the world originates. Because an instructed noble disciple does not think when what does not exist, does what not come to be? With the cessation of what, does what cease? For example, when what uh, does not exist, do volitional formations not come to be? When what does not exist, does consciousness not come to be? When what does not exist, does name and form not come to be? When what does not exist, does aging and death not come to be? Rather, because the instructed noble disciple has knowledge about this that is independent of others. When this does not exist, that does not come to be. With the cessation of this, that ceases. When there is no ignorance, volitional formations do not come to be. When there are no volitional formations, consciousness does not come to be. When there is no consciousness, name and form does not come to be. When there's, and so on and so forth. Where there is no birth, aging and death does not come to be. He understands thus, in such a way, the world ceases. Because when a noble disciple thus understands as they really are the origin and the passing away of the world, He is then called a noble disciple who is accomplished in view, accomplished in vision, who has arrived at this true Dhamma, who sees this true Dhamma, who possesses a trainee's knowledge, a trainee's true knowledge, who has entered the stream of the Dhamma, a noble one with penetrative wisdom, one who stands squarely before the door to the deathless. (coughs) So as uh, in previous readings, um, I I suspect that this, this list of ways of referring to the, this uh, kind of accomplishment is 
are probably related to different people's languages, different expressions that they that they had or people were familiar with, saying uh, accomplished in view, accomplished in vision, uh, arrives at the true Dhamma, sees the true Dhamma, possesses trainee's knowledge, trainee's true knowledge, entered the stream of Dhamma, with uh, a noble one with penetrative wisdom, and then one standing squarely before the door stood the deathless. So you've got eight or nine different um, images there, and I, I, I suspect that he's sort of making the same point, but with uh, with reference to the kind of language or the, the terms that uh, that are, are familiar with the people that he's speaking to. And also this, this bears a close relationship to, if you remember the... the um, the Buddha's teaching to Rohitasa, the, this deva who came to to see the Buddha and uh, has said, when uh, when I was a, 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 in my last human life as a yogi, I, I tried to to walk to the end of the world, and even though I walked for a hundred years and I died on on the road, I, I couldn't actually get to the end of the world. And then the Buddha uh, <coughs> the Buddha responds. So this is back in chapter eight. I'll read it again just for reference. In me, Lord, there arose the wish. I will get to the end of the world by walking. I walked thus for a hundred years without sleeping and pausing only to eat and drink and answer the calls of nature. Even though I exerted myself thus for a hundred years, I did not reach the end of the world, and eventually I died on the journey. To this the Buddha replied, It's true that one cannot reach the end of the world by walking, but unless one reaches the end of the world, one will not reach the end of dukkha. It is in this fathom-long body with its perceptions and ideas that this world, its origin, its cessation, and the way leading to its cessation are to be found. One who knows the world goes to the world's end. One who lives the holy life with heart serene, they understand the world's end and do not hanker for this world or another. And in, in his note on that, um, that's from the Sangyutta, book of the, the second book of the Sangyutta, the Devaputta Sangyutta, uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi makes the comment he, think, he feels this is the most profound statement that exists in human philosophy you know, of any kind and he, he did uh, a, a, I think a doctorate in, in western philosophy before he went off to Sri Lanka and became a monk so he, he knows his, his stuff and, um, and of the whole canon he makes this very bold statement that uh, this uh, is a, a, not just a profound but incredibly helpful advice that it's uh, <clears throat> and particularly because it's pointing to what the Buddha uh, frames as the world rather than the, you know, this planet spinning around in space or Mount Sumeru is this giant mountain surrounded by oceans but the world is what, uh, what we see here, smell, taste and touch and that <clears throat> you, yeah, only by coming to the end of the world as in the, the, um, the non-identification with hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching thinking that then that's, uh, that's how dukkha is, is transcended. One who knows the world goes to the world's end. So knowing the world, knowing the, uh, <coughs> the world of our own experience, that is how the, the world is transcended. And uh, it's, you know, as he said, it's within this, this, <coughs> this body with its um, perceptions and ideas, there is the world, the or- its, its origin, its cessation, and the way leading to the cessation of the world. So the end of the world is not the planet blowing up or the sun you know, expanding and turning into a red giant or the universe disappearing into a big crunch, but the end of the world is the mind's attitude to uh, its own perceptions. And so this uh, passage that we just had from the, um, 
Nidana Raga, this one, um, then uh, it's uh, referring to exactly how this is how the world originates, so that they, he's pointing to that ig with ignorance, when there is not clear seeing, then the mind uh, attaches to um, subject and object, to mind and body, to the six senses, and then gets caught in uh, desiring in various various forms, and then that leading to uh, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. As he says, that in, it is in such a way that the world originates. And then through the dependent cessation, that in that uh, uh, second part of the dependent origination cycle, it says, when there is avijaya toeva asesa viraga niroda, when there is the with the complete cessation of ignorance, the and the uh, complete um, dispassion viraga, then that it, there is no ignorance uh, arising, Ig and ignorance does not condition um, uh, sankara, uh, mental formations, consciousness, and uh, the whole cycle does not sort of get uh, reified, does not get brought into being and and uh, constructed. <coughs> so as he says, when a noble disciple thus understands as they really are, the origin and the passing away of the world, he's then called a noble disciple, accomplished in view. So, and so on. So that's seeing the world clearly, uh, one, who's, one who knows the world, is seeing things in terms of, uh, uh, of the Four Noble Truths, or seeing things in terms of this a causal relationship. This is how the the uh, the world arises because of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, remembering. That's uh, that that creates this world. Uh, and then through the change of attitude, the change of of the mind's relationship to that, then that uh, uh, that is what brings about this sort of radical um, change of perspective. The entering of the stream is where the mind can't not see the uh, the world in that way that it's it's uh, irreversible in its uh, change of, of view that uh, in a sense like when you see how the conjurer does the trick you can't unsee the trick it's you're always going to know how they do it even if they're still doing it and it's still clever you know how the trick is done or if there's a a a, a, a puzzle or you, you, and you know how the 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 puzzle is uh, is worked even though it's it uh, there's, a, there's a a kind of question there you know how the trick is done you you know what the answer is and so that there's something in the heart that is attuned to that so any questions thoughts on that So then uh, he covers a, a few more different um, patterns of approach that the, the Buddha uses. Here is another perspective to the insight of a Sotapanna. And this is from the, uh, section 22 of the um, uh, Connected Discourses. Because there are these five aggregates, so that's the Kandavaga, the, the um, Connected Discourses about the five Kandas. Because there are these five aggregates subject to clinging. What five? The form aggregate subject to clinging. Feeling, perception, mental formations. The consciousness aggregate subject to clinging. When because a noble disciple understands as they really are, the origin and the passing away, the gratification, the danger and the escape, in the case of these five aggregates subject to clinging, then he is called a noble disciple who is a stream enterer, no longer bound to the nether world, fixed in destiny, 
with enlightenment as his destination. So again, um, like with um, Viveka, Viraga, Niroda, Vosaga, that was, uh, was qu- uh, quoted in one of the previous passages, this uh, other little sequence is, is very common. The, gratific- uh, the origin, the passing away, the gratification, the danger, and the escape. So you, um, uh, and that's in this, uh, this particular teaching, it's in relationship to the five khandas. In the uh, Majima Nikaya, which I happen to have here, in the Sutta number 102, the Panchataya Sutta, then, which is a very helpful meditation teaching, the <coughs> the, he uses exactly the same kind of format. So this is um, talking about the... Uh, um, the subtle delusions in a, a, a meditator. So this is Sutta one, uh, 102 in the Majima. Here bhikkhus some recluse or Brahmin, with a relinquishing of views about the past and the future, through complete lack of resolve upon the fetters of sensual pleasure, and with the surmounting of the rapture of seclusion, unworldly pleasure, neither painful nor pleasant feeling. He regards himself thus, I am at peace, I have attained Nibbana, I am without clinging. The Tathagata Bhikkhus understands this thus. This good recluse, or Brahmin, with the relinquishing of views about the past and the future, and so forth, regards himself thus. I am at peace. I have attained Nibbana. I am without clinging. Certainly, this Venerable One asserts the way directed to Nibbana. Yet, this good recluse, or Brahmin, still clings, clinging either to a view about the past or a view about the future, or to a fetter, essential pleasure, or to the rapture of seclusion, or to unworldly pleasure, or to neither painful nor pleasant feeling. And when this Venerable One regards himself thus, I am at peace, I have attained Nibbana, I am without clinging, that too is declared to be clinging on the part of this good recluse or Brahmin. That is conditioned and gross, but there is the cessation of formations. Sankara Niroda, having understood there is this, quote-unquote, Seeing the escape from that, the Tathagata has gone beyond that. Because this supreme state of sublime peace has been discovered by the Tathagata, that is, liberation through not clinging. By understanding as they actually are the origination, the disappearance, the gratification, the danger, and the escape in the case of the six bases of contact, so (coughs) eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. (coughs) And so the six bases of contact. Because that is the supreme state of sublime peace discovered by the Tathagata, that is, liberation through not clinging, by understanding as they actually are the origination, the disappearance, the gratification, the danger and the escape in the case of the six bases of contact. So what those, those uh, refer to, so it's in a way taking any kind of perception or in this respect, this particular teaching about the five khandas the, the origination, so the arising of the perception, uh, seeing or hearing or feeling, it arises, origination, disappearance, that also seeing that it, it's an impermanent thing. The gratification, which is the uh, asada, which is the, oh, look, <coughs> that's nice, or that's interesting, or, or even gratification can be when you dislike something, because that can be gratifying too, like, oh, no, not that noise again. Uh, you know, that, that, there's a, an asada in that. So 
Asada and Adinava are a pair, so there's the gratification and the danger. So whenever the mind says, oh yes, it's also taking hold of the, the, the shadow of that as well. So that when it says, oh yes, then it's also grasping the, the, um, uh, the kind of uh, liability or the downside, the, the, the negative aspect of that. So the, uh, in, this, in that respect it's called the, it's translated as the danger. Also, so Adinava is also translated as the um, the the down the downfall or the downside, the liability. You know, it's, it's like the bill that comes with the the, um, the the nice thing that you just acquired. It's like, oh, well, that's really nice. Oh, how much did it cost? Oh my goodness! Look at look at the bill. So the asada is the oh, that's nice, and the Adinava is my oh my goodness. Look what that cost. And they they're a pair. They always come together. And then nisarana is the escape. So then, through recognizing, okay, you, you, uh, things arise, they pass away. If you get the the thrill, you get the bill. <laughs> that's just arose spontaneously. So. That and that that's how it works. That's the system. And that recognize well that therefore the the mind can't get drawn into that in the same way. It doesn't it gets. Um, so, uh, like I was saying, the spell is broken. You see how the trick is done. So the escape is like, oh well, yeah, I'm not going to go for that. Or that's that's not something that's as convincing or compelling. Oh yeah, it's sweet, but so what? Or that's yeah, it's attractive or interesting, but so what? Or yeah, it's it's annoying, but so what? That the that um, that's the escape is that the mind doesn't buy into it in the in the same way. <coughs> this following sutta shows what leads to the insight and realization of a sotapanna, what lays the foundation, that is, either faith in or the understanding of the true nature of our interface with the world. There are further suttas in this section that use the same format, but they focus on the objects of the senses, the feelings that arise from contact, etc., as well as the five khandhas. The power of turning the mind, <coughs> the mind toward the impermanence of phenomena and what the mind is therefore capable of accomplishing through that contemplation is most worthy of attention. It's something that, although based on what is truly ordinary, has extraordinary possibilities. In this next passage, the categories of faith follower and wisdom follower are introduced. This is another way that the Buddha describes one who enters the stream. And so, um, faith follower is sadha nusari, or sadha nusarin, and the wisdom follower is panya, uh, panya nusarin, or uh, panya nusari. And to give a little bit more background on those before I read this quotation, there's um, a couple of notes here that are useful in the Majima. Nikaya, where he defines these. So these are two classes of individuals standing on the path of stream entry. So these two, a Dhamma follower and a faith follower, they are sort of on the path to stream entry. The, um, they're on the, um, the Magga, they're on the pathway to that, but they haven't arrived at it yet. So two classes of individuals standing on the path of stream entry. Dhamma followers, Dhamma Nusarin, are disciples in whom the faculty of wisdom Panyindriya is predominant, 
and who develop the noble path with wisdom in the lead. When they attain the fruit, they are called attained to view, ditipata. Faith followers, sadhanusarin, are disciples in whom the faculty of faith, sadindriya, is predominant and who develop the noble path with faith in the lead. When they attain the fruit, they are called liberated by faith, sadhavimutta. <coughs> and um, there's a helpful description in the Kitagiri Sutta, which is Sutta number 70 in the um, Middle Length Discourses. What kind of person is a Dhamma follower? Here some person does not contact with the body and abide in those liberations that are peaceful and immaterial, transcending forms, and his taints are not yet destroyed by his seeing with wisdom. So that means that the person has not, re has not reached um, the ability to uh, enter formless jhanas, uh, formless states of meditation, and their wisdom is not particularly polished. Uh, the taints are not yet destroyed by seeing with wisdom. But with wisdom he has sufficiently gained a reflective acceptance of those teachings proclaimed by the Tathagata. So there's, but there is enough wisdom to think this is the, what the Buddha is saying is true. Furthermore, he has acquired these qualities, the faith faculty, the energy faculty, the mindfulness faculty, the concentration faculty, and the wisdom faculty. This kind of person is called a Dhamma follower, Dhammanusarin. I say of such a bhikkhu that he still has work to do with diligence. Why is that? Because when that venerable one goes forth into homelessness, seeing the fruit of diligence for such a bhikkhu, I say that he still has work to do with diligence. And what kind of person is a faith follower? Here some person does not contact with the body and abide in those liberations that are peaceful and immaterial uh, in the same way uh, they haven't reached the profound states of meditation. Uh, and his taints are not yet destroyed by seeing with wisdom, yet he has sufficient faith in and love for the Tathagata. Furthermore, he has these qualities, the faith faculty, the energy faculty, the mindfulness faculty, concentration faculty and the wisdom faculty. This kind of person is called a faith follower, sadhanusarin. I say of such a bhikkhu that he still has work to do with diligence. Why is that? Because when that venerable one makes use of suitable resting places and associates with good friends and balances his spiritual faculties, he may, by realizing for himself with that direct knowledge, here and now, enter upon and abide in that supreme goal of the holy life for the sake of which clansmen rightly go forth from the home life into homelessness. Seeing the fruit of diligence for such a bhikkhu, I say that he still has work to do with diligence. So the, um, the predominant factor then with a Dhamma follower is the faculty of wisdom, a sort of reflective inquiry. As he says, he's got uh, gained sufficient reflective acceptance of the teachings proclaimed by the Tathagata. So there's more of an intellectual uh, approach or a, a kind of uh, the wisdom faculty is dominating. And the sadhanusarin is more, there's a sense of devotion and love and uh, not particularly based on, on an intellectual understanding, um, but more on a, a sense of um, uh, appreciation and inspiration and uh, you know, gratitude, more of those heart qualities. So that's a Dhamma follower and a faith follower. Of course, there are the, the, there's, a, there's a whole uh, collection, there's a, like a sevenfold um, where are we? There's a sevenfold categorization of liberation that is uh, mentioned in some suttas. So it kind of goes slightly different to the stream entra, um, uh, once returner, non returner, 
um, model and let's see it's um, and it starts off with one liberated in both ways so that the that's at the beginning of this this group so sadhanusarin uh, panyanusarin and dhammanusarin and the uh, sadhanusarin the dhamma follower and the faith follower there at the end of that list of seven but the this is all in the kitagiri sutta sutra number 70 in the majima and the the one that is at the front of the list is one liberated in both ways so for that person their their faculties of faith and devotion uh, and the faculties of wisdom are equally uh, are equally developed so if you're interested in that that's in the kitagiri sutta uh, sutra number 70 and that talks about the um, <coughs> the different uh, approaches or or the say the the different emphasis on on the devotional element and on the the wisdom element in individuals okay so let's go to this passage here So this is from the uh, again from the Sangyutta Nikaya, <coughs> and this is the connected discourses on entering. So it's about entering the stream. Uh, this uh, section twenty-five. Because the eye is impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. The ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind is impermanent, changing, becoming otherwise. One who places faith in these teachings and resolves on them thus is called a faith follower. One who has entered the fixed course of rightness, entered the plane of superior persons, transcended the plane of the worldlings. He is incapable of doing any deed by reason of which he might be reborn in hell, in the animal realm, or in the domain of ghosts. He is incapable of passing away without having realized the fruit of stream entry. One for whom these teachings are accepted thus after being pondered to a sufficient degree with wisdom is called a Dhamma follower. Dhammanusarin, one who has entered the fixed course of rightness, entered the plane of superior persons, transcended the plane of worldlings. He is incapable of doing any deed by reason of which he might be reborn in hell, in the animal realm, or in the domain of ghosts. He is incapable of passing away without, realize, without having realized the fruit of stream entry. One who knows and sees these teachings thus is called a stream enterer, no longer bound to the netherworld, fixed in destiny, with enlightenment as his destination. So that's uh, also interesting that it starts off with the uh, investigation and reflection on impermanence and also the um, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body and, and mind, that which is the, say, the, the fabric of our, our world, recognizing the, the transient, uncertain nature of that and then recognizing the, the one who places faith in these teachings and resolves on them thus is called a faith follower. Um, and then, so that that sense of trusting, yeah, that's the way to go. Um, just from a, a quality of, of faith or devotion in the teach, uh, in the teacher, and then the uh, dhammanusarin, the dhamma follower, is again this um, appreciating the same teachings through the more of the intellectual faculty, and uh, it uh, also points out that in this particular definition, that of both a faith follower and a dhamma follower that they're definitely going to reach stream entry before the end of that life. And so that uh, they're on the pathway to stream entry, where they're kind of right at the brink, so that, uh, that they, they're, as he says, they're guaranteed to, um, 
to realize stream entry before passing away. He is incapable of passing away without having realized the fruit of stream entry. So that uh, you're definitely going to cash in your account before you <laughs> cash in your chips. You know, you're you're going to, uh, the, the results of that inside are going to bear fruit before this life comes to an end. Any questions? So everyone's very quiet this evening. Yes, Sudanta. Yes. Well, it's it's uh, it's all it's all woven in together, so that <coughs> over the past experience that somebody might have, they might have over time emphasised the the faith aspect or the wisdom aspect, and so that's um, more what they're drawn to, or more what is meaningful in this lifetime, or it might be balanced. But um, it's <coughs> it's uh, it's very it's very striking how I mean it divides it up into these two broad categories of the you know, liberated by faith or liberated by wisdom, sadavimutta and panyavimutta, or dhammanusarin and sadhanusarin. But uh, it's the disposition of individuals is quite uh, quite varied, and there's there's a very uh, wonderful teaching called the um, discourse in Gosinga Sala Tree Wood, the the uh, Gosinga Sutta, where and it just, anyway describes all of the the different characteristics of the great disciples of the um, the monks, and of course it'd be hard to find. Yeah. Mahago Singha Sutta. Where are you? Here we are. Uh, Three hundred seven. So it's Sutta number thirty-two in the Majima. And um, so that the the They're, they're in this forest, the Gosinga solitary forest. Uh, the, uh, the Gosinga solitary wood is delightful. The night is moonlit. The solid trees are all in blossom. The heavenly scents seem to be floating in the air. What kind of bhikkhu, friend Ananda, could illuminate the Gosinga solitary wood? So they, the monks are kind of um, going to visit each other, and it's such this sort of beautiful moonlit night in the forest, and the trees are in bloom. And, and then one by one, they ask each of the, these uh, great elders, what kind of a monk would illuminate the grove on a beautiful night like this? And then, um, so it starts off with, with, with Venerable Revata and, uh, and Venerable Ananda going to see Sariputta. And then they ask Sariputta and he says, um, yeah, well, <clears throat> one who has um, learned much, remembered, mastered verbally, investigated with the mind and penetrated well by view, teaches the Dhamma to the four assemblies. And then they ask Ravata, uh, what do you think? And Ravata says, one who delights in solitary meditation is devoted to internal serenity of mind, because Ravata was a great meditator. Sariputta was a great expounder of Dhamma. Then they go, go and ask Anuruddha, and, and Anuruddha says, well, you know, uh, one who has the divine eye, purified and surpasses the human, a bhikkhu surveys a thousand worlds, um, that would be someone who illuminates the forest. Because so, Anuruddha was the most gifted with the divine eye. Then they go and ask um, Mahakasapa. Mahakasapa says, uh, A bhikkhu is a forest dweller, speaks in praise of forest dwelling, an alms food eater, one who wears rag robes and, 
It's because he was a great ascetic, so that you know, that's what he said. That was the kind of monk that would illuminate a grove, the grove on a night like this. Then they go and ask Mahamogalana and said, "Well, uh, <coughs> Mahamogalana says, well, a monk who could um, uh, illuminate the forest would be one who has total mastery of all psychic powers, can uh, <coughs> can um, uh, enter into various different." Uh, m- uh, realms and different modes of being so one by one they go through and each one sort of talks about their own particular skill and their own character so that over lifetimes they've developed these particular propensities or abilities and uh, so one by one they, they go through it so it's a very beautiful sutta and very interestingly enough when they go and then after all of that they all they all go to see the buddha so they think oh, well, what's what would the master say and uh, interestingly enough the buddha uh, characterizes himself as one who has got determination. And they ask the Buddha um, what uh, what he would uh, uh, what he would do, or what he, how he would characterize that. And after they go to the Buddha and they they tell him this whole long list of of characteristics they've all described, um, the Buddha says, "You've all spoken well, Sariputta, each in his own way. Hear also from me." What kind of a bhikkhu could illuminate this Gosinga solitary wood? Here, Sariputta, when a bhikkhu has returned from his arms round after his meal, he sits down, folds his legs crosswise, sets his body erect, and establishes mindfulness in front of him and resolves, I shall not break this sitting posture until, through not clinging, my mind is liberated from the taints. So that's uh, how the, the Buddha chooses to, to kind of characterize himself, is that that sense of aditana or resolution. I, I'm not, I'm not going to move from this spot until the asavas have, have ended. So um, <coughs> that uh, is one of the few places where the Buddha actually speaks of his own uh, particular um, sort of, uh, uh, strengths or, or that particular um, sort of prime, uh, primal quality of, of his own uh, practice, his own, his own, uh, his own life. So that's Sutta number 32 in the Majima. There was another question from over here somewhere. Yeah, yes. Um, How would you explain path and fruit? Path and fruit. Well, if there's an orchard, and the orchard is over there, you can see the orchard, and there's the pathway that you follow to get to the orchard. So you're on the path to the orchard, the fruit is over there, and there's the pathway leading to it. And you know you're on the path, you're heading in the right direction, but you can't, uh, the, the fruit isn't available till you get to the orchard. So when, you, when, the, when the path has been followed, and then the orchard has been arrived at, then the fruit is available. So that it's, uh, there's the conditions that lead towards the, uh, the, the uh, ripening of that quality, are all there, but it hasn't been reached yet. So it's it's a it's a quite a simple analogy, really. And then there's a, so the the you got four orchards, you know, the, the Sotapanna orchard, the Sakadagami orchard, the Anagami orchard, and the Arahant orchard. And you have path and fruit, the uh, the sort of the pathway to that that level, and then the enjoyment of the fruit of it, or the the experience of the fruit of it, and then following on from that, the pathway to the next orchard. As it were, Does that makes sense. Yeah, yes, it's just that I've, I've, um, I've heard a much more complicated explanation. 
Yeah, it makes it very complicated. I've seen those descriptions, and it's just like you get you get a headache even <laughs> reading it the first time. And if you try and sort of read it two or three times, and that the there's this sort of well, it's only one mind moment, and then it's sort of <clears throat> and I think it's much more simple than that. It's like here's like like you're walking through the countryside. You can see okay, there's the here's the path. There's the orchard. I haven't got there yet, but it's that's where it is. If I keep walking, it's, it's going to be reached. I think it's far more simple and prosaic than the Abhidharma has it. And the, it's, an, it's also interesting the, um, uh, that uh, Ajahn Pasana hasn't mentioned it yet, but there's this term, the, gotra, <coughs> the Gotrabu, which is the, um, another way of referring to stream entry, which is a, literally translates as something like a change of lineage. So your Gotra is your clan or your family. Um, so that you know, my my parents were uh, were called Horner, Mr. and Mrs. Horner. So I'm, and then their parent, my father's parents were Charles Horner and Mabel Hater, and my mother's parents were Carl Goldschmidt and Madeleine Barrett. So that that's the sort of the the Gotra would be the the families that I've come from, and that makes the my family. Um, and so uh, the clan, or the, the group that you come from, is your gotra. And then the, the stream entry is called a change of, of gotra, the, or the change of lineage. And it's, uh, I feel it's a very skillful term, because it's, if there's the, the, one of the insights that's key to stream entry is breaking through sakaya ditti, self-view. Like, that's number one, yeah, feta number one is sakaya ditti, yeah, self-view. So that if the body is not self, the personality is not self, what does that say about mum and dad? You know, the body has come from the haters and the Goldschmidts and the Barats and the Horners, but if the body is not self, what's that got to do with anything real? Right? Can you follow that? So it's a change of lineage rather than like, uh, my lineage is this family or these families from, from Belgium and Germany and Britain and whatnot, then that, okay, that's where this body's come from and this particular genetic pattern, but if the body's not self, it's not who and what we are, rupang you anatta, know, then uh, there's, a, there's a change of lineage, a change of perception, rather than, oh, I have come from the Goldschmidts and the Barats and the Horners and the Haters, uh, Rather, oh, <laughs> that's just where this body's come from. But the body, you know, the body's not self. So that it's a the the in a sense the dhamma becomes the the gotra, the the, the recognition that everything that this uh, that arises is uh, an aspect of na the natural order. That that's what is experienced is all uh, dhamma jati is born of the dhamma, and so that it's a. Uh, <clears throat> or like the the reading that we had yesterday, Dhamma Dhamma Titata, established in Dhamma, Dhamma Niyamata, following the the laws of Dhamma, uh, that these are, are 
that's the the gotra that is being awakened to. That, oh, my gotra is not the the horners and the haters and the goldschmidts, but it's rather the the dhamma itself. That's the that's the the change of lineage, the change of of view. So, but don't write to your mother and say you're not really my mother. I did that, and it didn't succeed in improving family relations. What you do when you're a zealous uh, monk of one, or not even one reigns. <laughs> Don't try it. Uh, yes, yeah, Nevin. On one level, um, as you said, you know, all those things are not self. That's the level you just brought up. But on the other level, I'm everything. I'm Arjun Amro and I'm the nuns over there because my mind makes them. So on one level I'm nothing, on the other level, I'm, if I make my world, I make everything. It's very deep, isn't it? The, the, yeah, the world that we experience is the world that our mind creates. So I'm you. You could say that. You are me, you know, on one level. We're built of the same stuff. Well, any, any form of expression can only be partially true. Any word or any idea in the expression is a convenient fiction. And it, as long as we... And it's like... Um, <clears throat> if you read some um, you know, Dhamma books or you read some different, um, <clears throat> different spiritual teachings, so like you can, re- you can read... Um, uh, you know, read the word of the Buddha, and, and the Buddha says, "I am is a conceiving. You know, it's a tumor. It's a dart. It's, it's a cancerous. You know, it's, it's a every conceiving is alien, is is unsatisfactory, is painful. You know, the I, every kind of I am. If you read uh, Sri Ramana Maharshi, then the I, the I am is the universe. You know, the, the I am is the Dhamma itself. So it's a, and so that." We say, is, is the Buddha right or is Ramana Maharshi right? Well, I would say they're both right. They're just using language in a, in a different way. That you just... Uh, and so that it's so important when, you, when we're using words and ideas to keep it in a context and to, to recognize that it's not a matter of attaching to an, an idea or saying, okay, well, um, <clears throat> that's that idea or that word, that's now, that's now the truth. It can't be. It's only a word. It's only a, a conditioned form. Uh, but the the magic is that those those forms or those words can uh, help the mind to awaken to that which is beyond words and concepts. Like uh, like yesterday, you had the the um, discourse by Venerable Kamaka where he becomes an arahant hearing his own dhamma teaching. You know that's a, that's miraculous. Yeah, and that's the 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 way that the conditioned can help the mind to awaken to the unconditioned is amazing. But it's important that, that we never create the idea that in the form there is the reality that so Theravada Buddhism is absolutely pure, or Mahayana Buddhism, or Ramana Maharshi, or that in this word, in the Pali Canon, is the truth. It's just ink marks on paper. You know, this is just... Uh, 
paper from Finland that got shipped to Singapore and got covered in these, these black marks with little red stripes down the side that says, the island. You know, it's, it's just it's put together. It, it, it doesn't have any uh, substantiality or meaning on its own. And when we remember that, then we can use those, those, uh, those forms of words and they can be meaningful and useful. As soon as they think, no, that, that, no, this is the truth. The Buddha said, you know, and then the mind grasps onto the, onto the, the word or the form. And then that, in that very grasping, then the mind becomes um, uh, uh, born into that. So that, uh, like uh, that wonderful phrase of, of Lumpur Chas, you're right in fact, but wrong in Dhamma. You can say, you know, yeah, the, the Buddha did say, Yankinchi Samudaya Dhamang Sabantang Niroda Dhamanti. Yes. <laughs> but he said, the Buddha said, you know, whatever rises passes away. And so, <laughs> you know, you're, you've, you've, yeah, yeah, he said it, but you're using it as a weapon to attack somebody. You're using it as something to kind of inflate your ego. Like, I'm right, you're wrong. And then it's, it's not Dhamma anymore. Even though, well, the Buddha did say, <laughs> you know, so that there's a rightness in fact, but a wrongness in terms of reality because of the way the thing is being grasped. So let's see if we can finish the chapter to, today, before 7 o'clock. Yet another way of viewing the qualities of sotapanas is in terms of their spiritual faculties. Because there are these five faculties. What five? The faculty of faith, sadha, the faculty of energy, virya, the faculty of mindfulness, sati, the faculty of concentration, samadhi, and the faculty of wisdom. When bhikkhus, a noble disciple, understands as they really are the origin and the passing away, the gratification, the danger, and the escape, in the case of these five faculties, then he is called a noble disciple who is a stream enterer, no longer bound to the nether world fixed in destiny with enlightenment as his destination. So again, we've got this uh, origin, dis- uh, disappearance, gratification, danger, and escape. And in, in, in essence, that format is the kind of engine of vipassana meditation, watching the arising and passing of things, and then recognizing the, the asada and the adinava, the, the attraction or the gratification and the, <coughs> the liability, and then the escape, the, the, the effect of non-grasping, non, non, non-identification, non-attachment. Impermanence is one of the main entry points into the Dhamma. When it is seen deeply and profoundly, the heart has the opportunity to shed its habitual confusions and abide in clear vision instead. This leads naturally to steadfastness and firmness which is different from the surrounding world. In the following sutta, the Buddha describes the instability and change that takes place to the point at which the world disintegrates. Even in the face of such destruction, however, one who has entered the stream of Dhamma would be unshaken and reflective. And this is from the Book of the Sevens in the Anguttara Nikaya. Thus have I heard, once the Exalted One was dwelling at, in Ambapali's grove near Vesali. There the Exalted One addressed the bhikkhus, uh, say, addressed the monks saying, Monks, Lord, they replied. And the Exalted One said, 
Impermanent monks are compounded things. Unstable monks are compounded things. Insecure monks are compounded things. So, monks, be disenchanted with all things of this world. Be repelled by them. Be utterly free from them. Then the Buddha goes into a description of the conception of the world at that time that Mount Sineru was, a, was huge and that it was surrounded by great oceans. There was this massive sort of uh, axis of the world, the sort of axis mundi of Mount Sineru or Sumeru, and then there's rings of mountains and uh, like seven rings of mountains around it with oceans in between them. <clears throat> there would be a time when there would be no rain at all and existence would suffer. Then the Buddha goes on to describe that two, three, up to seven suns would appear in the sky and things would alter and change in the world and that we, would, and that we should be disenchanted with the conditions of the world. Only a person who has entered the stream of Dhamma would be able to see this clearly. And then it goes back to the quotation and says, Now, where is the sage? Where is the believer who thinks this great earth and Mount Sunero will be burnt up, will utterly perish and be no more? Uh, save among those who have seen Nibbana, Dittapada. Uh, so he's saying that now uh, it, uh, only someone who has uh, who's reached this kind of realization, who's uh, um, entered the stream, could imagine the ending of the world, the entire collapse of, of the world, seven suns appearing in the sky and the whole world drying up and, and being destroyed. Can imagine that and be at ease with that. You know, only uh, only someone who's entered the stream could say, "Well, yes, of course, the, the world will necessarily end one day." So that is the end of chapter seventeen. Any further thoughts, questions, reflections? Okay. Um, yes. Well, for about the fifth time, 
The very fact that you can describe that... <laughs> really, I mean, I think it's about the fifth time that you've, you asked a similar question, and the fifth time I've given the same kind of answer. Uh, so I would really encourage you to, to, to consider that the very fact that you can name that that's going on means there's part of the mind that's not convinced by that. If you didn't realize that was what was happening, then you'd really be in trouble. But because you can name that and, and describe, oh look, I'm just completely in this swamp of, of uh, self-creation. I'm just creating these stories all day long, every day, about me and my practice. And the, 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 the mind that knows that that's being done is trustworthy. That's, that's, uh, and so I would really encourage you just to give, give credence to that and, and not just to get um, so drawn into the, uh, the content, but to, to, in, to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> and to, seriously, to, to, to say, okay, well, that's really interesting because I can describe that. There's part of my mind that knows that's going on. You can't just stop it. Like you can't just decide, oh, I won't, I won't be, um, I'll never get upset by anything again. I'll, 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 everybody I meet, I'll always like them. You, you know, you, you, you can decide that, but it's not going to work. You know, it's like, I will, I will enjoy the flavor of every food I ever put in my mouth. Like, well, no, you won't. You can have that thought, but it's not going to change the way things taste. Um, but you, you can recognize the mind doing that. You can, the, and so that's the thing to, to keep reflecting on and trusting is that there's something here that knows my mind making this whole big drama about this, that, and the other. And so um, let's try just trusting that which is aware of what's going on uh, and not feel like I, I, I'm only practicing properly if, I could, if what's going on can be stopped. That's the mistake. It's, like, it's not just justifying us having habits of desire or fear or anger or jealousy or whatever, possessiveness, or just comp creating complications. It's not, it's not making excuses for that, but it's just recognizing there's, you know, the, the practice is not uh, switching that off or not feeling that or not having that, but rather developing the capacity to know, oh, this is the the flavor of this particular condition it has a, there's a woman's body there's a woman's mind there's got a korean language conditioning and a, and living in amravati as an anagarika conditioning and so ch -ch 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 -ch, these different pieces come together and it's this that's its color that's its flavor that's its texture and so that you, you can't just snap your fingers and make it be different it's just, just not the way the world works it just isn't that nature isn't that way but there and there's that, that mind that says, oh look, there's the, the uh, Anagarika Hyun Kyung thing doing its thing. <laughs> there she goes again. And that uh, is not suppressing that, not trying to get rid of it, not, not buying into it, not justifying it, but knowing it. And then the, the more that we do that, then the more that we are uh, uh, able to, to see, well, when the mind views those kind of patterns. This is the Ajahnamaro thing, and it, it, it's like this. It's very wordy and uh, likes to explain things. You know, I'm a compulsive explainer, so this is heaven. <laughs> 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 or, 
all my explaining fantasies are gratified. <laughs> all these people I can explain things to, and they just sit there patiently while I just do my explaining. <laughs> Hooray! <You know. laughs> my first 18 months, I didn't utter a peep. My mother thought I was, I was uh, um, disabled or there was something wrong with me, because apparently I just sat there. And if you see fit photographs of me at the age of about one or one and a half, I didn't got this <laughs> this kind of scowl. There's a, my sister put this album together for my 60th birthday, and this kind of <laughs> little kind of scowl. And then apparently at about one and a half, I just started talking and didn't stop. I could read and write when I was three, but it went from like total silence and. You know, <laughs> I don't like this. I don't want to be here. This isn't right. <laughs> and then, and then, as soon as I started talking, I was explaining everything to everybody, even when I didn't really know. I was jumping in and and being an authority at the age of three, quite happily. So, uh, so I, I, I witnessed that. You know, I can't just sort of stop Ajahnaro being that way. It's not. It's not going to happen. I'm a wordy guy. That's that's the shape of it. But I don't have to feel that's wrong or bad. I just try to steer it towards something that's useful and shut up when I need to. But it's nearly ten past seven. Um, so that you're, you're witnessing that going on, you're, you're participating in that condition of this life, being a woman, being a man, being old, being young, being whatever. And, and then the choices uh, the, the more that there's a sense, oh, this is just the Ajahn Amaro thing, this is just the Hyun Kyung thing, then the, the more that the choices within that can be made that, that are skillful. And, that, and when the choices are made that are not skillful, then, ow, it hurts. And in terms of, of this theme of stream entry, one of the, 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 um, the ways you can look at this, you know, no more than seven rebirths, is that you can only get seriously lost seven times. It hurts more each time. And you feel more of an idiot each time. Like, how did I do that again? That, that's, this is, that, that's really impossible. Like, and so there's like you, you fall over and crash you know, no more than seven times because like you can only make those kind of serious mistakes. But it's, you know, a stream enter isn't someone who doesn't make mistakes, doesn't have a personality, like that Gosinga, Mahagosinga Sutta. These monks will have, and even when they're saying, well, I think actually the best kind of monk who would illuminate the forest is one who sits and meditates all the time, or, or one who can see all the you know, 10,000 fold universe. That they're not shy about talking about, well, I think the best kind of monk is like me. <laughs> <laughs> and that there's a kind of, it's a kind of Pali joke, that sutta. Like they all quite, they're all, you know, most of them are arahants. They most say, well, I think the kind of monk that would illuminate the forest is like moi. <laughs> And the, it's, so it's a kind of subtle Pali humor um, in that way. So that, and when you, you are in a country like Thailand and you meet various different Ajahns there, they're very different personalities and different characters. And they're not trying to be as the kind of, this is what an Arahant is like, so you have to behave that way. But they're, they're totally at ease with being exactly who they are, either extremely quiet and gentle, or very kind of, Blunt or very intellectual. Ajahn Buddhadasa was a he had like no emotional affect. It was like watching a mountain. There's just nothing there. 
and and he didn't uh, he was just completely at ease with with uh, with every situation and uh, he could sit down at five in the morning and give like a, an hour and a half long da- da- dhamma talk about a tamayata you know, to uh, you know, to people on a ten day retreat half of them had just come off the beach you know westerners doing a ten day retreat with him and he and uh, he had absolutely no need to, to be um, pleasing them or for them to sort of think, to say that we think you're wonderful or we can understand what you're saying. None at all. He just said, this is the, the time for giving the Dhamma teaching, and he'll give the Dhamma talk. And some of these people will understand, some of them won't have a clue. And, it was, and, it was just, and there was no, no affect, no kind of sign um, and and but someone like Lumpur Chow was incredibly uh, animated and engaged, and I mean he could also be very cool, but uh, he could also be extraordinarily uh, uh, sort of engaged and and, and uh, lively. So that you know, the the life functions through these different kind of doorways, different formats, different characteristics, and so that you're within that. You're not trying to be somebody else or play a part. But you're recognizing, okay, there's skillful and there's unskillful. If this track is followed, ouch, right. That hurt last time, right. Let's try and remember that. <laughs> right. Oh, that's good. This, feel, this feels great. Okay, remember that. And then we use the, the kind of characteristics that we experience, whether they're you know, wholesome or, un, or, or and, and helpful or they're kind of confused and a bit crazy, then... Uh, whatever they might be, we we operate through those rather than thinking, I've got to stop that being that way. Otherwise, it's not practicing. It's like the people say, uh, you know, uh, I try to meditate, but um, you know, I can't really meditate because my mind is busy. Well, you meditate with the busyness <laughs> rather than only when the busy thinking has stopped. Then I'm meditating. I don't know how many times I've. Uh, so that to people, not because you're just saying, trying to give people excuses to sit there thinking, but rather, if you if you say I'm not meditating until my thoughts stop, it's never it's never going to happen. But rather, you work with what's there, and then the way that you work with things creates the causes for for wholesome qualities to arise in the future. But it's now nearly seven fifteen, and I'm a wordy guy, so I better shut up. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll go on forever.
for Sister Kenneth. I asked Ajahn Sundra to lead the chanting this evening, so if you could move the uh, bell and uh, the clock and such like. Thank you.